of Hebrews, New Testament book of Hebrews and chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, if there's something weird and it don't look good, who are you going to call? Well, clearly, Ghostbusters is the right answer there. <laughs> but my friends, if you're struggling with sin and you're filled with anxiety and doubts fill your mind, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. This is the very point that the writer, the author of the book of Hebrews is making to these Jewish Christians who are on the verge of going back to the Mosaic system. Oh, they love the history, the law, oh, the solidness of all of these things. They are drawn backwards. Well, my friends, the connection has already been made between Jesus' high priesthood and his ability to help his people in chapter 2. But here, in chapter 5, the argument continues. No matter what it is, you look back at the Mosaic system, Jesus is better. Better than Moses, better than the law, better than everything involved with the Mosaic system. And today, the focus is that Jesus is better than the priesthood. The Old Testament priesthood. Think of all of the traditions of the, the robe worn in just as such a way and the tassels of this. Oh my goodness. And all of the timings. And once a year the high priest would traditions. And they want to go back. But you will notice that this argument is focused on Jesus. And here is the thing, that this is not just some interesting measuring contest. For every time we look at these comparisons and contrasts, we are focusing on who Jesus is in relationship to us. And I would ask you right here to consider, if you know an answer to this question what does it mean that Jesus is a great high priest to you? That's why we study this. Because there is an aspect of who Jesus is that is so important to us in our relationship with him. Well, we are jumping in in verse 14. You remember we ended on verse 13 last week. But here we have this transition into chapter 5 of this focus on Jesus, the great high priest. And the, uh, the, this begins here in verse 14, letting us know that we have a great high priest and in light of that, verse 14 tells us that we ought to be firm in our faith. The one thing these people were not in the fact that they were following Christ and they began to turn. Now, it doesn't matter what you're turning to, my friends. You are turning away from what is best in your life. So look at verse 14. Since then... 
we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, which is the very target of this letter. Hold fast to your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. We have a great high priest, and he has passed through the heavens. Now, great here suggests the uniqueness of this particular possessor of, of that exalted office. Jesus is a high priest, but he is a great high priest. Look at verse 15. Be firm in your faith. Why? That Je because Jesus understands our weakness. This is the wonder of Jesus as a high priest. He is a prophet, he is a priest, and he is a king. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Consider all of the temptations that Jesus had, including, I could call 12 legions of angels, and you know, his, his disciples, shall we have uh, the mountains fall on these people? Shall we just pray and have all of these enemies of yours slaughtered, Jesus? He said, no, no. He endured all of this suffering. Wide open to it. He never shrank back from it. Why? And he did it for you. So Jesus gets it. Jesus knows what it's like. I mean, Satan himself, very unlikely that Satan has had anything to do with you. But Satan came to him in his weakest time when Jesus was weary. You know how... Easy, you can be rolled over, my friends, when you're tired. And he was hungry. And, Jesus, and the, the Satan says to him, well, to see these stones, we'll turn them into bread. I mean, that's no problem for Jesus, right? And when you're hungry, think about for a moment. Hot bread coming out of the oven. And that aroma filling your nose. Oh, my goodness. And there's butter. Good. Oh. See what I'm saying? You'll settle for toast, for heaven's sakes, at that point. Well, Jesus said no. And the fact is, you can say no as well. It doesn't matter how great the temptation, you can always say no. Just because something comes across your screen or your phone doesn't mean you have to click it. Oh, there's four secret ways and we You can say no. Jesus did. He was hungry. He understands it. He was tired. He was surrounded by people who wanted him dead. He understands it. He gets it. We don't often think about Jesus that way. 
You know, like we did when we were just little kids in those Sunday school classes, and we'd sing really loud, Jesus loves me. And, and that picture of, of Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, this is a beautiful picture of Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want it. As a kid, I thought, what does he want him? You know? But it, what it means is, is that you have everything you need. And then comes this phrase, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I didn't get that as a kid. Well, what is that all about? Does he take you out to the pastures where you take a nap? No, sheep only lay down when they're satisfied. He makes me lie down. And and there's this beautiful picture of, of the Lord as a loving, caring person toward these sheep. That's the Jesus that you and I follow. That is the Jesus that we love. And boy, does he satisfy. Mm. And so Jesus understands our weaknesses. He gets it. So in light of that, the obvious application here in verse 16 is, let us then with confidence draw near him to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Which, by the way, is almost constant in our life. That we have needs And because he gets it, because Jesus understands our weakness, my friends, we ought to go to him confidently to find grace and receive mercy in time of need. So he's a great high priest. And you might say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, does he really fit all of the qualifications? Let's take a look. Chapter 5, verse 1, and where we uh, have laid out for us the qualifications of a high priest. In verse 1, we see they must be appointed for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God. So they are appointed to act on behalf of men in relationship to God. The role of a, of a priest, a high priest, was to be the mediator between man and God. And you know what that looked like? It, it looked a whole lot like offering sacrifices for sin. Because the wages of sin is death. And so they offered gifts and sacrifices for sin. You know, he, is a, he acted on behalf of man in relationship with God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. But you know, he must be appointed and he must be called by God. And no one, verse 4, takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was the first high priest And so they must be appointed. Verse 2, they must understand man's condition. 
Verse 2, he can deal gently. We're talking about the high priest. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. You know why the high priest Aaron could understand the sins of others? Because he had the own sins of his own sins to deal with. And look at here in verse 3, they must offer sacrifice for sin for themselves and others. Verse 3, because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the other people. And so here we see some qualifications. They must be appointed, and they must be able to understand man's condition. Well, when we get to verse 4, we see that Jesus meets this to a T. Verse 4, we see that Jesus meets the qualifications of a high priest and then some. Jesus has a superior ordination. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, verse 5, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now according to Acts 13, this begotten refers not to birth, but resurrection. This is referencing the resurrection of Christ. Born from the dead, my friends. So he is the son of God. You are my son. What a great qualification. What a resume. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who have an, a very high view of themselves. Jesus, just plain accurate. He is the son of God. And he has an eternal priesthood. Look at this. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever. Aaron, not a priest forever. There were other high priests, my friends. But then here is this picture. He also, in other places, you are a priest forever. He is the son of God. He has an eternal priesthood. And he has a better order. Not of the order of Aaron, my friends, but of Melchizedek. Now, here is a word that is uh, very significant. It is a compound word, melech and zedek. <laughs> melech meaning king, zedek meaning righteous. He is the king of righteousness. That is the order. Now, Melchizedek means, uh, again, king of righteousness, and, but he is a king and a priest, Wow, just like Jesus. Jesus is a heavenly priest, but could not be one on earth. One qualification for an earthly high priest, got to be of the line of Levi, right? Have to be of Levi. Aaron was a Levite. Jesus, of course, was from what tribe? Anybody? Judah? Yeah. That was the line of kings, my friend. So Jesus, not a high priest on earth, but a high priest in heaven. 
Now, we're going to learn more about this Melchizedek in chapter 7. I would commend you to do a little study on your own to go back to the Old Testament where we meet Melchizedek. Commend you to do just that. So Jesus has this superior ordination. He was chosen by God from resurrection, from heaven itself, to be a high priest. But you will notice here in verse 7 that Jesus offered a better sacrifice. Yeah, those high priests, once a year, high, oh my goodness, comes the big sacrifice for the sins of the people. But you know what? They did that year after year after year after year. That is what the high priest on earth did. But you know this, my friends, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Now, verse 7 here is a most unusual verse, at least the way people have seen it. It references Jesus offering up prayers and supplications, loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard. And people say, oh, yeah, I remember this. This is the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus went to the cross. And, you know, and he sweat. You know, these great drops, like blood, just, oh my goodness. But that's not what it's talking about here, friends. There was a moment on the cross in which he quoted Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And do you know what happened at that very moment? Somehow in some way that is unexplainable, but we know it. Jesus was separated from the Father. It's part of what it means to die. Psalm 22 cried out, You see, Jesus doesn't offer the sacrifice. Jesus himself is the sacrifice. No other high priest went to the altar and offered himself. And no greater love has any man that he laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus offered a better sacrifice because he offered himself as a sacrifice for sinners cried out on the cross where he offered himself a sacrifice for your sin. Substitutionary death. He died in our place. He took the penalty, the punishment, the judgment that you and I deserve. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus died in our place. And so he offered a better sacrifice. He offered himself. And he learned obedience through suffering. Although he was a son, 
He learned obedience through what he suffered. And what is meant by that, this, this obedience in suffering, is that suffering changes us. <laughs> suffering brings us to maturity. Yes? Think of anything, anything you've ever tried to learn on a computer. Remember when those things came out? And you, there's that little thing flashing. And what do I type? What do I... <laughs> and you spend hours of agony trying to figure it out. Today, you got it on your phone. Hey, Siri. Or Alexa. Or Google. Or whatever brand you might be carrying. Yeah. And Jesus ultimately became the source of our salvation. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who... Well, that's not the word that we expected, is it? This is to all who obey him. But as I have said numerous times, faith and obedience travel together. Well, I suppose... The book of James says something about that as well. <laughs> it's called faith and works. How do I know you have faith? I look at what you do. Faith. Eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And you will notice that Jesus' sacrifice was also different from the rest of the high priests because they did it year after year after year. But Jesus, once for all, once for all, one sacrifice for all who will obey him. And one sacrifice for every sin you have committed, whether you noticed it, remembered it, or not. So my friends, hear me when I say this, that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. There is no longer a priesthood in Israel. When Jesus became high priest, there was no need for another. All of that has been put away. It has been fulfilled in Jesus. So if you have sinned, it's a funny word to begin that sentence, if, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Faithful to forgive. If you are in need. If you don't know where to turn. If your life is filled with anxiety, my friends, turn to Jesus. Whatever your situation, my friends, hear me when I say this. You need Jesus.